So New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has resigned. His resignation, he tendered today. It will be effective 14 days from now. And wait just a second. Hold on. Hold on. Do not celebrate over this. This is not the big news that uh, even some conservatives would have you believe. Because the reason Andrew Cuomo has tendered his resignation uh, from his seat as the governor of the state of New York is not over his nursing home deaths. It's not because he sent thousands and thousands of elderly people in the state of New York to their deaths by mandating that nursing homes accept COVID-positive patients when Governor Cuomo and his staff knew that this was causing the death of these elderly people and spreading COVID in nursing homes. That is not why Governor Cuomo resigned. He resigned over allegations of sexual harassment, um, anything from groping aides to making suggestive and gross, dirty comments to females uh, in his orbit. That is why he resigned. Um, I don't think Cuomo's resignation, therefore, is really any cause for celebration. I mean, sure, good riddance, fine, okay. But truly, all this resignation means is that Democrats have gotten rid of their PR problem. And this is what I mean. Their PR problem was the fact that Cuomo obviously did something wrong. He obviously sent these elderly people in New York to their deaths in nursing homes. And as long as he was seated in the governor's mansion in the state of New York, conservatives were not going to let this go, as we shouldn't. We should demand accountability when government officials abuse their power, as Cuomo clearly did. But Democrats have gotten rid of this PR problem because they didn't want to oust one of their most popular, most powerful governors, because then they would have to admit that what he did was wrong. And Democrats, as we know, cannot admit that they have done anything wrong on COVID. But they know he's wrong. They know he's a problem. They know he's a target for conservatives. So by his, him resigning today over sexual harassment allegations, it means Democrats have gotten rid of their PR problem without any accountability for what Cuomo did to the elderly people in the state of New York who died because of his dictates and lies. What this means essentially is the resignation of Andrew Cuomo is a tactic the left is utilizing to avoid accountability for these absolutely deadly COVID policies. And now is a good time, by the way, to remember exactly what happened. On March 25th of 2020, that's the date that Governor Cuomo's health department forced nursing homes in the state to accept COVID-positive patients. Now, I don't care, actually, if this was at the urging of hospitals, if hospitals wanted to discharge patients while they were still infectious because hospitals were overflowing. I don't care. This is what Cuomo's health department did in full knowledge of the situation. This is what Cuomo allowed with full knowledge of the situation. That happened on March 25th. So then the Cuomo administration in New York goes on to claim that between the months of March and May of 2020, there were uh, 4,800 deaths of elderly people in nursing homes. 4,800 people died in nursing homes from COVID-19. That's what Cuomo claimed. That, of course, is a lie. It's an utter lie. The true number is closer to 12,000. More than twice, almost three times the number of people died, as Cuomo claimed, died. Now, he was caught in this lie, of course. Cuomo was caught in internal reports and internal communications. The Cuomo administration admitted that they knew that they were hiding this number. They were purposely withholding the true number that they knew about from the public and from the Trump administration, from the federal government. And when Cuomo was asked why he lied about this, why he hid this, you know what he said? He blamed that lie on his worry that President Trump would politicize the number. Politicize the number of dead people. Cuomo was worried about the PR, and so he lied. In addition to this, there was also smarmy accounting that was happening. The health commissioner of New York, his name's Howard Zucker, he changed how they were reporting deaths of nursing home residents. So if you were a nursing home resident who died of COVID, but you died after you were transferred to a hospital, that didn't count as nursing home fatalities. It only counted if you died while in the actual nursing home itself. So obviously that means that it, it changed 
the number here by thousands and thousands of people. It made it appear that they died, that they weren't nursing home residents who died, even though they were, they were just admitted to the hospital at the moment that they died. Meanwhile, of course, Andrew Cuomo was celebrating with an Emmy win. He was awarded with an Emmy, perhaps for acting like he was caring for people while he was killing them. He was making millions of dollars off of his book, talking about leadership as he was covering up the death of thousands of people. He also admitted, by the way, during this outbreak in New York, the first wave in New York, he admitted that the vast majority of new COVID-19 cases were coming from homes where people were locked down together because of the stay-at-home order issued by his health department. So then we fast forward to this year in January of 2021, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, issued a report and found that nursing home deaths were 50% higher than Cuomo admitted. The total number of people that died in nursing homes was 12% of the entire nursing home population in the state of New York died of COVID. As this was happening, Governor Cuomo was criticizing the Trump administration for how Trump was handling it. He actually said these following words, incompetent government kills people. You can't make this stuff up. And yet no Democrat at the national level would call for Governor Cuomo to resign his position. None. Even the woman who's being designated as historic, this incoming governor, Kathy Hochul of New York, who's going to be the first female governor of New York, even she wouldn't call for Cuomo to resign for the nursing home deaths or even for the sexual harassment allegations. Perhaps that makes sense for her because she views people as commodities as well to be discarded when convenient. When she was running for Congress, she was the fifth largest recipient of Emily's List funds. This is back in 2011. Emily's List is a very, very pro-abortion group. The moral of the story is good riddance to Governor Cuomo. It's good that he's out of office, but this is no time to celebrate when the reason that he left office, the reason for his resignation allows Democrats off the hook for killing thousands of old people in the state of New York. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, let's talk for a second about ExpressVPN. So we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and your security and your family's safety online, right? But I did not know until recently that you can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are ostensibly only available in other countries. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app, you change your location to any other country, say the UK, for example, refresh your streaming service, Netflix or Hulu or whatever you're using, and that's all there is to it. See, ExpressVPN, this is how it works. They hide your IP address and let you control where you want websites to think you're located. So just imagine all of the Netflix libraries that you can go through. And it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, no question. But ExpressVPN, in my opinion, is the best because it is ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering, any lag, and you can stream in HD, no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your different devices, whether it's your phone, your media console, your smart TV, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big stream wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash Liz, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support the show, watch what you'd want, protect yourself online at expressvpn.com slash Liz. So meanwhile, as CNN contends with their conflict of interest, their ethical dilemma on what to do about Chris Cuomo, who reportedly is still advising his brother, even amidst the fallout, even amidst the resignation, even following Chris Cuomo saying that he would no longer be advising his brother, apparently he still is. 
CNN has pivoted to attacking all Republicans on a totally different issue. They are trying the old bait and switch. CNN's Brianna Keller uh, lied and called all Republicans who care about a secure border, care about our national security. She called us racist, horrible racists. And here's what I would say. I do not let myself be defined by the left, nor do I allow myself to be defamed by the left. And that is exactly what is happening in this clip. Take a listen. There is a crisis on the border. The last time the Border Patrol saw this number of migrants trying to cross in a month was two decades ago. This morning, the Ed Board for The Washington Post is demanding a a coherent strategy. So yes, President Biden has a real problem on his hands here. The Biden administration has been using a Trump administration policy known as Title 42. It means that hundreds of thousands of migrants at the southern border, including asylum seekers, can't enter because of the COVID public health emergency. Congressman Chip Roy, just a couple of weeks ago, said this. And here we are saying, oh, we're going to have to wear masks on the floor of the House, but we're going to do nothing to stop the flow of people coming across our border. Republicans should be ashamed of themselves. I introduced legislation for a discharge petition to require the enforcement of Title 42 so that we will turn people away at the border who have COVID rather than forcing this ridiculousness on the American people. Again, the Biden administration is enforcing Title 42. There are some in the Republican Party who insist that COVID isn't so bad, certainly not bad enough to have kids wear masks in school, even if they're too young to be vaccinated. But actually, it is bad. They say very bad, a threat, in fact, if it's undocumented immigrants bringing it into the country. And again, no evidence that they're responsible for the COVID surge in U.S. communities. It is the centuries-old trope of demonizing foreign people as diseased. The R-naught on that virus is sky high. And these conservative voices know that. They're the vectors here infecting Americans they profess to care about with misinformation. And the rising case numbers, the lagging vaccination numbers are proof of that. And then in the wake of the backlash that Brianna Keller received for this, as she should, she deserved it. She was lying and she was insulting um, the majority of Americans, actually, who believe in border security, not just Republicans, this is what she said, and to try to pivot away from her lies. She said, quote, unvaccinated Americans, disproportionately Republican Fox viewers, are fueling the surge, not migrants who are near 100% tested and quarantined if positive. Why not talk about the border crisis without dabbling in BS and racist tropes about immigrants, end quote. So first of all, just so you know, the Biden administration themselves Fauci himself, the press secretary herself, admit that vaccinated Americans can not only contract but transmit the virus the same as unvaccinated Americans. Just using words from your own side to prove that you are a liar, uh, Brianna Killer. So that's, that's first of all. So let's just get that straight. But let's talk about the border crisis for a second. Let's, let's ask this question. Are there migrants who are coming across our border because of Joe Biden's basically open borders policy, who are bringing COVID-19 into the United States. And when I say bringing it into the United States, we can differentiate between, are they bringing it to border detention facilities or are they bringing it to American communities? Because there is a difference. We should admit when there's a difference, there is. So let's look at these two questions. According to a presidential briefing document that was recently leaked to NBC News, 20% of migrant children have tested positive for COVID-19. Now remember, children are not typically being deported. Children are being released into the United States. So 
20% of these migrant children, these unaccompanied minors who are staying in the United States, not in the migrant detention facilities for long, because they're not allowed to stay there for long, they're being released. You remember catch and release. If an adult brings a child or comes with a child, they both get released into the U.S. If an unaccompanied minor comes here, they're not staying for long in detention. They're released into the United States. 20% of them are testing positive for COVID. So basically, to encapsulate what is happening in our country, this is what's happening. U.S. kids, citizens of the United States who are children who do not have COVID, they are not testing positive for COVID. They are not allowed to go to school or anywhere, even outside at camps, for example, without face masks. But we are racist if we point out that illegal alien children who are being released into the United States, into our communities, into our cities, who actually tested positive for COVID are spreading the virus. I mean, come on, CNN. You gotta at least make us work for it to bat down your lies and debunk your silly narratives. That's not even a hard one. That is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. No one in their right mind would believe it. No one would believe it. So that's not all, by the way. It's not just kids. 18% of families, migrant families, are testing positive. And this is where the differentiation that I mentioned before is extremely important. So families are not tested upon entering the detention facilities unless unless they are symptomatic, but they are tested before they're released into the United States. So when I say this number, 18%, nearly one in five family units that are testing positive for COVID, that's happening right before they're released into the United States. Not when they enter the facility, right before they're released into our communities. One in five families in these border detention facilities before they're released into the United States are testing positive. So let's look at the numbers here for a second. In July, Border Patrol, Customs and Border Protection, their official name, um, caught 200,000 people at the southern border. That was in July. In June, it was about the same. 188,000 people were detained at our southern border. So using this number, using this number, if these people were released into the United States, and I know all of them weren't, but a lot of them were, that would be 40,000 people in July alone who tested positive for COVID-19 most of whom are probably now in the United States. That's a lot of people in a lot of different cities. In McAllen, Texas, for example, 7,000 migrants who tested positive for COVID were released by Border Patrol into the city just since February, just in the state, just in a couple months. So it's happening. I mean, this is what the Biden administration's own government data, this is where I'm pulling all of this, all these numbers from. The Biden administration's data admits exactly the opposite of what CNN is saying. They're, they're basically, the Biden administration is debunking CNN unintentionally. The other lie that CNN is telling is Title 42. So Title 42 allows the deportation of any migrants who have been in a country that has contagious disease. Now, there's a caveat to this. Well, shocker, a caveat. The exception to this is unaccompanied children and family units with young children those people are not being deported under Title 42. Those people are being released into U.S. communities. So this idea that Title 42 is immediately sending back every person who comes from a country that has contagious disease, you know, one maybe where COVID is prevalent or whether these people are testing positive for COVID, the exceptions are always these children. CNN, I mean, a cursory research could show CNN the truth. They're not interested in the truth. They're only interested and calling you a racist. Meanwhile, it's not just COVID-positive migrants who are crossing our border and being released into cities all across the country. There are criminals 
who are being released, criminals who put people in danger. I'm talking horrible crimes. I'm talking rapists. I'm talking about child molesters. I'm talking about gang members. This is just a little accounting over the past couple weeks, really just the past couple days, of what kind of horrible, horrible criminals have been released into the United States after illegally crossing our border. On August 4th in Texas, there were two MS-13 members, plus an illegal alien, convicted in the state of California of, quote, forcible oral copulation with a minor under 14 years old. Why don't we talk about that, CNN? If you want to talk about putting people in danger, why don't we talk about that? Also on August 4th, two illegal aliens with prior sexual offense convictions were apprehended. On August 1st, a 38-year-old illegal alien with an outstanding felony warrant for a sex offense against a child. Do you want these people in our country? July 27th, an MS-13 member. July 28th, another gang member convicted of aggravated robbery. Do you want these people in our nation? They're not citizens. They've committed crimes in our nation. They've been deported, and they're coming back. On July 23rd, an MS-13-affiliated illegal alien who had been convicted of unlawful possession of firearms of war and extortion. Do you want that person in our nation? Do you think that individual causes danger to the American people? An illegal alien, a registered sex offender because of an assault on a 13-year-old child, that person was caught again. Do you want that person released into the United States? A 38-year-old illegal alien convicted of child pornography was apprehended. Do you want that person released into the United States? Do you think that any of these criminals pose danger to United States citizens or other migrants for that matter? But CNN would rather call you a racist because you're concerned about these people trying to come into our nation, these people being released into our communities. You're worried that our rights have been violated. Our businesses have been shut down. We've been prohibited from worshiping at churches. We've been forced to wear masks. Places are now starting to force vaccines. Our rights have been abridged because in the name of COVID-19, so yeah, we're concerned if migrants have COVID-19 and are bringing that into our nation, because when that happens, government officials use that as justification for controlling us, for implementing Marxist policies, for violating our constitutionally protected rights. And we're also concerned because of the criminals that CNN just conveniently ignores here. Now, remember the, the point of all this. The reason that CNN is doing this isn't just because they're dumb, which maybe they are. I don't know this woman specifically. It seemed like a dumb monologue, but I have no idea if she wrote it herself or if someone wrote it for her. Certainly it was dumb, uh, dumb points that she was making. But the, the purpose of the Democrats supporting open borders is clear. The purpose here is it's called the Cloward-Piven strategy. And the Cloward-Piven strategy is a progressive um, a progressive theory, progressive ideology that calls for overwhelming the welfare system to the point where the welfare system collapses and we are thus forced into a Marxist system. And open borders is a pivotal part of the Cloward-Piven strategy. So that's, that's first of all, that's the bigger picture. In the, in the smaller sense, and maybe when I say smaller, I just mean a subcategory here. When there are illegal aliens in districts in our country, Redistricting, when you're drawing the lines for congressional districts, that the population counts includes illegal aliens. It's not just citizens. It includes every person in that district. So when we have districts that have a lot of illegal aliens, more Democratic representatives end up coming from those districts because those districts are then divided into more districts. And if the areas are already heavily Democratic, then you just get another Democratic representative that's elected. Then, of course, we have the children of illegal aliens who become citizens if they're born here. They then become voters. And if their parents 
are under threat of deportation or under threat of having their benefits revoked by Republican politicians who say, hey, you're not a citizen. You don't get to benefit from you know, citizen taxpayer money. Then the children of those illegal aliens who are now citizens, the children are citizens, why would they ever vote for anybody other than a Democrat? Because the Democrat's going to hold their parents over their head. This, of course, doesn't take into account that the Democrats also want amnesty for all of these people who are crossing in, into our country illegally. They want everybody, not just children born in this country who become citizens to become voters. They want the parents to become citizens so that the parents can also vote. And then, of course, they'll hold all of these benefits and all of these immigration threats over their head to ensure they're Democratic voters. In local elections, Democrats push to allow these same illegal aliens to vote in the local elections because that's arguably not in the Constitution. So CNN can publish this ridiculous monologue, right? They can accuse you and I of being racist. They can talk, they can use phrases like the great replacement theory to make it sound like it's this terrible racist conspiracy theory of hating migrants because of hating people of certain nationalities or blah, 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 blah. It's no such thing. It's obviously not. The Democrats say in response to every GOP policy, racism, racist, because the Democrats have no good justification for their own policies. And there's nothing practically problematic about Republican policies. And so the Democrats and their cronies in the mainstream media simply lie. Let's talk for a second about trust and will. We all know that we need one, but most of us, to be honest, and I'm included in this, put off creating a trust or a will because it sounds too complex at trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, it's convenient, and it's secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, you can determine who gets your stuff in the case of your death, and you can plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your own home. That's right, you don't have to hire a traditional estate attorney that might cost thousands of dollars, might use a one-size-fits-all template that is not nearly specialized enough for you. Trust and Will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state you live in. And with live customer support seven days a week, trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan. Trust and Will is the most trusted name in online estate planning, the category leader on Trustpilot, and they have helped hundreds of thousands of people protect their families, their assets, and their legacy. So gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com Liz and Get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is really important. Get 10% off using my code plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash Liz. Trustandwill.com slash Liz. You'll be glad you did it. It's the responsible thing to do. Teachers unions are the worst of, the po of all the unions in the United States, in my opinion, because they have the most power. They're the most corrupted. They're the most, they embrace the most evil of the ideologies. And Randy Weingarten, who is the union boss of the American Federation of Teachers, which is the second largest teachers union in our country, is a perfect example of this, uh, I don't want to call her evil, but she certainly adheres and ascribes to an evil ideology. Well, now she's even going one step further. Besides Marxism in schools and defending, wanting to defend teachers who break the law by teaching critical race theory and all that kind of lovely racist stuff they want to be teaching to our kids in public schools, Randy Weingarten is now coming out in favor of vaccine mandates. She's avoided favoring these before, but now she caved, possibly because government officials have asked her to. I don't know. It seems like they're pretty buddy-buddy, the government and Randy Weingarten. But this is what she said. 
She goes, 90% of the teacher members in her union have actually gotten the vaccine, but I do think that the circumstances have changed and that vaccination is a community responsibility. Well, obviously what she means, a community responsibility means if you don't make the choice for yourself, then she wants the community to force you to do so. She is favoring vaccine mandates. And this is what she said, and this is really, really creepy, really creepy. She goes, it weighs really heavily on me that kids under 12 can't get vaccinated. You know what this means, right? Public schools are setting the stage to force your child to get the COVID-19 vaccine or else probably not be allowed to attend in person. That is what a comment like that means. It weighs heavily on her that kids under 12 can't get vaccinated. Even though kids under 12 are more likely to die from the flu than from COVID-19, even though kids under 12 are not significant vectors of transmission of the virus, even though kids under 12 do not transmit it to administrators or teachers at the schools. Why would it weigh heavily on you then that kids under 12 can't get vaccinated unless you are trying to prepare parents, you are trying to stoke fear in the heart of parents so that when you mandate that kids must be vaccinated with the experimental COVID-19 vaccine, people have been adequately prepared for it. This is evil. This cannot be tolerated. Children under 12 should never face a situation where they are not allowed to do something because they have not been injected with the COVID-19 vaccines. We don't even know the long-term effects of these vaccines. It's a new technology and these children are not at risk and they play almost no role in the idea of public health when it comes to COVID-19 either. But this is what the teachers' unions are all about. They're not about educating your kids. They're about ideology and democratic politics. And their reach is in every state, 50 states, in every school, 14,000 school districts across the country. And you see this ideology popping up in schools. It's not just talked about at the national level by teachers' unions. In the state of Oregon, the governor, Kate Brown, recently signed a bill. And this bill, what it did is it removes the requirement, the proficiency requirement to read and write and do math at a high school level from a high school graduation standard, which means in the state of Oregon now, you can graduate from high school and you will be handed a diploma even if you cannot read and write and do math at a high school level. So what does a diploma mean then? What's the point of a diploma if it is not to say that you can adequately read and write and do math at a high school level? It becomes pointless. Well, Kate Brown wouldn't answer the question of why she signed Senate Bill 744. She refused to say why she eliminated the proficiency requirements. But fortunately, her deputy communication director, Charles Boyle, has a big mouth, and he said he admitted the truth, and the truth is shocking, really, really shocking. This is what he said, Oregon's Black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color will benefit. Charles, why would those students benefit? Unless those students are are being failed by your public schools? He said, leaders from those communities have advocated time and again for equitable graduation standards, along with expanded learning opportunities and support. By the way, The Oregon state legislature did not expand any learning opportunities or support in the entire year of 2021, so that's BS. But here's the key word, equitable graduation standards. Equitable graduation standards. Do you know what that means? 
That means the purpose of this law is either to hold back minority students, meaning give them a diploma for graduating high school, even though they can't do high school level work. So either to hold them back, to try to keep a, holding, holding them back educationally, I should say, to try to keep a voting block docile, or it's a democratic belief that minority students are too dumb to achieve the same as white students. Because remember what equity means. Equity means people hired or judged or graduated based on skin color and not on content of character and not on intellect and not on academic achievement. That's fundamentally insulting to all of the minority groups that he mentioned to think that they need a high school diploma to succeed without actually achieving high school levels of academics. I don't believe that minority people are that stupid. I don't believe that any high school student who happens to have a slightly different color of skin or come from a slightly different background than Governor Kate Brown needs to be babied, needs to be told they're too dumb to actually achieve at the same standard as white people. Are you kidding me? This is the kind of racism that's inherent to the public school system now, all over our country. It's not just race, it's radical sex ed too. In Atlanta, in Morningside Elementary School, this is outside of Atlanta, a pr the principal of Morningside Elementary School, her name is Audrey Sofianos, told a Catholic couple, Catholic parents, that their kindergartner would need to leave the school district entirely if they wanted their child to avoid learning radical LGBTQ ideology. Remember, kindergartners are five years old. So what happened is these parents found a list, a wish list of the teacher, their, their child's teacher for her kindergarten, her kindergarten class. And on this list were the following books. Stella Brings the Family. This is the story of a gay couple. I Am Jazz, which is the story of a transgender child. And Our Class is a Family. This book is actually perhaps the worst of all. It encourages children to view the classroom, the public school system, the government-run school institution as their source of support instead of their parents. That's what was on this teacher's wish list. So yeah, the parents had a problem with this. The, the same teacher also posted pictures on her Twitter account wearing a t-shirt that reads anti-racist. In another photo, she was reading Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So yeah, she's a very, very radical leftist who was trying to indoctrinate this five-year-old child. The, the parents actually just asked if their child could be moved to a different classroom, and the principal said no. The principal said that these books follow Georgia curriculum standards. They're appropriate. And this is the specific email that was sent to the family. Quote, I want you and your family to be a part of Morningside because it's an amazing school, but the reality is we are a school that does represent everybody. And the reason the teacher has a book collection is to pull out a book when the topic is appropriate with the spirit of everyone feeling like they belong, including your child. It doesn't matter what class your child is in. It doesn't because these types of books will be read at our school. Well, there you have it. If you look very close, if you listen very closely to these radical leftists, whether it's the union bosses at the teachers' unions, whether it's the principals at the school, or whether it's big mouth deputy communication directors of governors of states signing legislation, they admit the truth. Your taxpayer money in the public school system is being used to indoctrinate your child in Marxism, radical leftist ideology, and 
If you object to this, if you object to your money being used for this, your child being forcibly brainwashed, then they want to ostracize you from society because they want their ideology. They don't just want your child exposed to it. They want it taught as objective truth. Make no mistake, it's in every public school. Your district is not exempt. Your hometown is not excluded. Your child is not safe. We conservatives surrendered public schools almost 100 years ago to the radical left. Taking them back will not be easy. This will not be short work. It will force us to live counterculturally while fighting for these institutions. Otherwise, if we don't fight, our kids will be the next generation fighting against America and against God, thanks to this indoctrination in public schools. In the city of Chicago, police officer Ella French was killed this past weekend. She was 29 years old, an absolutely beautiful girl. She had served on the force in Chicago for three and a half years. But on Saturday night around 9 o'clock, I think it was 9.08 exactly, she engaged in a routine traffic stop um, of a vehicle with three people inside. This was on the south side of Chicago. And as they approached the vehicle, the officers were fired upon by a male passenger and Ella French was struck and killed. The male officer who accompanied her was shot. He is in critical condition uh, at this moment, according to the police. And it's hard for me actually to talk about this story because it's just—it's so brutal. It's, it's so awful. It's such a loss of life. And I think in our society, we tend to be a little bit cavalier about life. We tend to be a little desensitized to these horrific things, but when you see, when you see a woman specifically gunned down, a woman police officer, a woman, a beautiful woman gunned down for no reason at all besides a routine traffic stop, it really hits you in the gut. It hits you in the gut about the depravity of criminals in our nation and how, how in control of these cities the criminals are thanks to the Democratic politicians. And I know that when someone loses their life, the last thing anyone wants to hear about is politics. But sometimes you have to talk about politics because without the politics, this could have been avoided. This didn't have to happen if Chicago had actually taken care of their crime problem, which they haven't done. Now, the, the gun that was used to kill Officer Ella French, the gun itself was illegal. It was a straw purchase made by an Indiana man. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, Jamel Danzi, another 29-year-old, ironically, had been, uh, has been charged with conspiracy to violate federal firearm laws, including knowingly transferring and giving a firearm to an out-of-state resident, knowingly making a false written statement to acquire a firearm, and knowingly disposing of a firearm to a convicted felon. So again, an illegal firearm was used in this murder. In fact, this is just like the majority of gun crimes. The majority of homicides are illegal firearms. So we have to ask, how much difference would it make if we pass more gun control? Because in the wake of any kind of murder, any kind of homicide, any kind of gun violence, the left always tells us, well, this wouldn't have happened if we just enacted common sense gun reform. By common sense gun reform, they mean draconian gun control that violates your Second Amendment rights. But how much difference would that actually make when we already have draconian gun control in Chicago? And what happens is this woman is still killed. How much difference would it make to pass more gun control? It wouldn't. But I'll tell you what would make a difference if we tried to counteract, if Democrat politicians stopped propagating the Black Lives Matter narrative, that cops shoot black people for being black and get away with it. This Black Lives Matter narrative statistically has been proven to put police in more danger. 
In 2021, in the city of Chicago, there have been 38 police officers who have been shot at, 11 of whom have been struck. Compare that to the year of 2020, one year ago, a total for one year, 79 police officers shot at or shot. That, if you compare it even to one year before that in 2019, there was a 500% increase from 2019's total officers shot at or shot. So what changed between 2019 and 2021? Yeah, the Black Lives Matter narrative. The riots, the Black Lives Matter riots across the country. Police officers are in more danger because Democrats are lying to the American people about what police officers do and whether black people are in danger of being killed indiscriminately by police officers for the crime of being black, which has been widely debunked. It is not true. So first of all, it sparks fear in the black community. But second of all, the Black Lives Matter narrative has led to the actual policy position of defunding the police. Defunding the police obviously will hurt black Americans in inner cities with high crime the most. They will be without protection, without recourse when they are victimized. So even though Officer Ella French, it was a woman, it was violence during a traffic stop, it was gun violence, you will never hear about this from the left because it contradicts their narrative. It contradicts their narrative all around. Contradicts their narrative because this was a woman who was victimized, but it was a police officer. It was violence at a traffic stop, but it wasn't violence from police, it was violence from those stopped. And it was gun violence, but it wasn't an AR-15 it was a handgun, a semi-automatic handgun. So you'll never hear about this from the left because it contradicts their political policy. Meanwhile, in, including Officer Ella French, uh, there were 47 people shot and seven people killed total in the city of Chicago in the space of 24 hours. So, there was actually a mass shooting. Did you hear about this? I didn't see any headlines about this. There was a mass shooting that happened in Chicago. According to the Tribune, seven people were shot and one killed in a mass shooting inside a lounge in the 1800 block of West 87th Street in the Gresham neighborhood around 2.05 a.m., the gunman shot a 37-year-old man twice in the neck and three times in the back after the two had a verbal altercation. But why didn't we hear about this? This was a mass shooting. Because it doesn't fit the narrative of Black Lives Matter or of the gun control groups. In fact, even in the wake of this officer tragically losing her life, this is what Mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, said, Quote, some say we don't do enough for the police. Others say we do too much. All of this must stop. We have a common enemy. It's guns and the violence they bring. Two young people did what we asked them, a service over self and one paid with her life. Okay, the guns and the violence they bring? I don't think so. It's the criminals and the guns they bring. The violent criminals are the ones committing the crime. And that is what Mayor Lori Lightfoot refuses to talk about. The crime problem in Chicago is black on black crime. That's why the left won't talk about this. There is a solution for this though. It's not defunding the police. It's not demonizing police officers. It's not gun control. It's not revoking law-abiding citizens' second amendment right to keep and bear arms. The solutions to solving black on black crime, the crisis in the city of Chicago is first to acknowledge what the problem is. What is the problem? The problem is black on black crime. The second thing is you need to address the gangs. This is gang violence. Gang life is glorified. Socially, you need to promote marriage. Children are less likely to join gangs when they have a married mother and father. You need to promote active fathers. Children are less likely to engage in violence, to commit homicide, to go to prison, to join gangs if they have active fathers in the household. We have to advocate for school choice, for education. People who are educated well 
are less likely to commit crimes. They are less likely to resort to gang life. And if the education system is failing in the city of Chicago so badly, then we need school choice and competition to increase this so that black children in Chicago don't feel like this is the only option that they have to commit crimes and violence and join gangs. We also need to empower law-abiding citizens to conceal carry because statistically that has been shown to lower violent crimes. And we need to stop hamstringing the police so that police officers can actually address these crimes when they happen and put a stop to them. But Democrat politicians aren't interested in any of these solutions. They're not interested in what we can do to be proactive to stop this problem. So they just ignore stories like the tragic death of Officer Ella French in the city of Chicago. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib was caught on video dancing at a wedding without a mask. Now, that headline could be could be enough in and of itself, but it actually is a lot better, and here is why. Because the same day, Rashida Tlaib had slammed Rand Paul publicly uh, for telling people not to obey the CDC anymore. So, first of all, take a look at Rashida Tlaib. Okay, so this happened, by the way, in Wayne County, Michigan. In Wayne County, Michigan, that is designated an orange zone per the CDC. Now, an orange zone, according to the CDC, indicates, quote, substantial transmission. It is one of the two risk categories uh, that the CDC says calls for indoor masking regardless of people's vaccination status. So just right there, right there, Rashida Tlaib is violating the CDC's Guidelines. And by the way, a lot of angry Rashida Tlaib fans on Twitter came after me today for pointing this out. They were like, she's vaccinated. She's vaccinated. Okay, that's fine. I personally don't care if she dances maskless, even if she was unvaccinated. She can do what she wants. She can make her own choices. I'm not getting involved in her uh, medical decisions or her healthcare decisions. I do not care. But Rashida Tlaib was the one who criticized Rand Paul. So let's back up for a second. This video is Rand Paul talking about what he's going to do in the face of potential vaccine mandates and renewed calls from the CDC for mask mandates. Take a listen to this. It's time for us to resist. They can't arrest all of us. They can't keep all of your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed, although I've got a long list of ones they might keep closed or might ought to keep closed. We don't have to accept the mandates lockdowns and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. Nancy Pelosi, you will not arrest or stop me or anyone on my staff from doing our jobs. We have either had COVID, had the vaccine, or been offered the vaccine. We will make our own health choices. We will not show you a passport. We will not wear a mask. We will not be forced into random screenings and testings so you can continue your drunk with power reign over the Capitol. President Biden, we will not accept your agency's mandates or your reported moves towards a lockdown. No one should follow the CDC's anti-science mask mandates. And if you wanna shut down federal agencies again, some of which aren't even back to work yet, 
I will stop every bill coming through the Senate with an amendment to cut their funding if they don't come back to work in person. Local bureaucrats and union bosses, we will not allow you to do more harm to our children again this year. Children are not at any more risk from COVID than they are from the seasonal flu. Every adult who works in schools has either had the vaccine or had their chance to get vaccinated. There is no reason for mask mandates, part-time schools, or any lockdown measures. So then, Rashida Tlaib retweeted that video of Rand Paul, and this is what she said. She said, the Kentucky senator is throwing a tantrum as his state is being swallowed whole by this virus again. People are getting sick and dying. 98 counties in Kentucky have a high incidence rate of COVID-19. He needs to put politics aside and put people first. Start resisting the virus, end quote. Instead of resisting the CDC. See what she did there? But then she's violating the CDC's restriction, recommendation, guidelines, whatever you want to call them. Dude, you can't have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. Either you say, hey, I'm vaccinated or unvaccinated, my choice, and I'm going to live my life according to how I see fit. Cool, don't care what the public health officials say beyond that. Or if you want to be a little Marxist minion, then you obey every little dictate from the CDC. And if you're advocating for that, which Rashida Tlaib is, then you're a huge hypocrite when you violate it and you deserve to be called out, which is what is happening right now. She's a huge, uh, an, an enormous hypocrite, absolutely ridiculous. Meanwhile, vaccine mandates seem to be, the idea of them seems to be spreading. Uh, first New York, now Los Angeles is considering it. This is according to the Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles County officials on Tuesday will consider drafting a proposal that would require proof of vaccination to enter certain indoor spaces. Supervisor Janice Hahn, whose fourth district includes several beach cities, created the proposal to be discussed at this week's Board of Supervisors meeting that asks staff and attorneys to draft a report in two weeks about what the county's policy could look like. Um, part of this would consider whether a, ma a mandate should require one dose of full vaccination and whether the policy should apply to all indoor public spaces or certain non-essential businesses and events, i.e. should grocery stores be exempt. So the reason I bring this up is because I got an email. I used to live in California, as most people know, and I recently moved away, but I got an email from UCSD, which is the University of California, San Diego healthcare system. I got an email from them because I guess they don't realize I'm not a patient anymore. And this email said that it, it requires all people who are visiting hospitalized family members to show proof of vaccination. You literally can't go to the hospital and visit your family for any reason. I'm not just talking about COVID-related cases here. You are not allowed to go visit a family member in the hospital unless you can prove to the hospital that you have been vaccinated. How draconian is that? Where does that end? Are there exemptions to that? What if a woman is having a baby and her husband is not vaccinated? Is he allowed in the building? What if, what if your spouse is having open heart surgery, emergency? You need to take them into the emergency room. Are they going to let you in? If you're not vaccinated? I mean, you wanna talk about cruel? You wanna talk about inhumane? You wanna talk about disgusting? You wanna talk about disregarding human life? It's really horrible. And that's what it sounds like from LA County. They're deciding whether it should be a requirement from grocery stores to get your food, which you need to survive, whether you have to show vaccine cards for that. People of Los Angeles, Please, for the love of God, stand up and fight against this. Do not flee the city. Do not flee the state. Stay and fight back against this. And by fight, I mean vote these people out. Impeach them. 
make it so that public health officials at the county level even do not have the power to issue mandates like this, dictates like this. They have no limit on their powers. Otherwise, where does this end? That's not a rhetorical question. Where does this end? What can't they force you to do under the guise of, a, of health or emergency or a crisis? First, it's COVID, but then it's going to be gun control, racism, climate change, et cetera, et cetera, if you don't start refusing to comply. By the way, the infrastructure bill, the trillions and trillions of dollars in the infrastructure bill, don't even get me started on that. We don't have time today. We are going to talk about the, that tomorrow. One last thing I want to talk about, which is um, really, really important, and yet big tech, of course, will not even let me mention the topic. I will tell you it's about masks. They won't, big tech won't let me mention this topic without censoring me. So in order to hear this, head on over to lizwheelershow.com locals. You're not going to want to miss it. If you want to see the rest of this segment, hear everything that we're going to talk about, head on over to Locals, the Liz Wheeler Show community at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. See you there. On that note, the great and powerful Jay Hay says we are out of time for today. We will be back tomorrow with a great show. In the meantime, think for yourself, use critical thought, reject critical theory, question authority, follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. And production assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.